This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe financial technology. In this episode, we're honored to welcome Charlotte Crosswell, CEO of Innovate Finance, to talk about the future of the financial technology landscape, from regulatory aspects to talent. We welcome Sam Tizel-Norish to interview her. How are you? Very good, thank you, Paul. It's the first time our audience is listening to you. Can you tell them who you are? My name's Sam Tidswell Norrish. I'm part of the founding team at Motive Partners, and I'm a principal. And Sam will be from now on the voice of these podcasts. I'm going to fall into the background. Sam, what do we have today with us? Today, we've got Charlotte Crosswell, the CEO of Innovate Finance. Hi, Charlotte. We've known each other for a while. Perhaps you could tell our, our listeners a little bit about Innovate Finance, what you do and who your, your members are. Sam, thanks for having me here today. Innovate Finance is a membership association that represents fintech. Now, that's not just UK fintech, that's we have global members as well. We have a total of approximately 250 members. That's based between large financial institutions, law firms, partnerships, advisory firms, but mostly from the fintechs themselves. And that can be across a range of verticals, blockchain to cyber to true fintech to insure tech to reg tech, etc. And so what that allows us to do is have the voice of fintech and be able to represent that voice and see the key trends and also what's worrying the industry and what needs to be done potentially to remedy it. You say the voice of fintech. You're preparing at the moment, I know, and I know the team are working hard for the Innovate Finance Global Summit on the 19th of March. It's become the event in the global financial technology calendar. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're most looking forward to, some of the trends, some of the speakers? Yeah, that's right. The Global Summit, this is our fourth year now, is now grown to being held over two days across three livery halls. So we have a true campus this year here in London, maybe a mini Davos. And if the snow at the moment is currently uh, continues, maybe it will be a mini Davos. And what that allows to do is actually have over 150 speakers coming in from the fintech community, talking about a range of topics. We also attended very well by parliamentarians this year. They were delighted to have the Economic Secretary of the Treasury, John Glenn, Matt Hancock speaking, Nicky Morgan, Chair of Treasury Select Committee, as well as Jonathan Reynolds, the Shadow EST, and Nick Clegg as well. So our fintechs will be sitting there sharing their stories from who's been the most successful and who's managed to already scale up their business and is already conquering the world, to the earlier stage ones who are looking at the next stage, who are looking at the trends in financial services, and then can share their journeys with the community as well. Coupled with on the second day, we have what we call Pitch 360. So some of our best and hottest fintechs will be going up in front of a panel of judges who will be looking at who's the hottest one and who potentially is going to benefit from investment. So really exciting couple of days. You know, Now it's actually phrased as the beginning of UK Fintech Week. So it kicks off a bunch of activities within fintech. Treasury are going to have their conference as well that week. And it all ties together to really showcase the best of what's happening here in the UK, but also overseas as we bring our global fintech community here to London. Thank you. And you talk about Fintech Week. The Treasury event focused on financial technology investors is on the Thursday, but again, focused on investors. Your event's very, very collaborative. It's government, it's financial institutions, it's innovators and the disruptors. 
that's very representative of the UK landscape. We have a very unique environment with all different actors in the ecosystem being within very close proximity. What is it that you specifically think the UK is doing so well? You're right. You know, we have a huge geographical advantage here in the UK. So when you look at money raised, you know, last year we were just second to the US. Um, but the US is very diverse in terms of geography. You have your tech and your VC industry more on the West Coast. Obviously, financial services split across New York and Chicago, but then regulators, government more down in DC. Mm. The advantage we have here is it is a small city. And we're able to bring that network together and that community together, which is just fantastic. Also, we have a very progressive regulator. You know, sandbox now is the most common term, I think, when you're talking about fintech mm-hmm. across the world. We have to remember that first regulatory sandbox was done by our own regulator, FCA. And even now, they've already launched their consultation on a global sandbox, which they're initiating. You know, so it really shows you where we are within the fintech community. We have a government that is very engaged with the fintech community, has already you know, had several steps, either through SEIS and EIS tax schemes to help fund small companies. And also with the British Business Bank, has been given money to invest within funds to sit there and help educate and help bring the fintech companies up to the next scale. It's a very interesting community, as I said, with the investors here, with the financial services firms that they're trying to either disrupt or collaborate with and with so many parts of important relationships with the mm. regulator, with government, all being able to bring them together really sets us in great stead across you know, other European cities and also across the world. You're being very modest. Innovate Finance has been one of the key drum bangers and helping elevate the UK as a global financial technology leader. We began and in partnership with the FCA and with Her Majesty's Treasury, the FinTech Bridge Initiative. We've seen bridges in Singapore, Hong Kong, China and Korea. Where else do you think in the world it's critical that we build bridges with? I mean, it's a great question and a lot of people would say, what does a fintech bridge do? Two ways. A fintech bridge is there to help companies go overseas. Fintech by its nature is global from day one. So even if a company is starting here in the UK and is disrupting UK financial services, the chances are they already have European and global ambitions. So that fintech bridge is there designed to sit there as they decide to go overseas and disrupt maybe financial services or collaborate overseas. They have that network in place through the offices to sit there and try to take advantage of that bridge. It also allows the other way around. Over half of investment coming into fintech comes from outside the UK. That continues to be the statistics today. It shows you how companies here attract such great finance and is so respected on the global stage. So again, the fintech bridge can sit there and really try to showcase our companies as they go overseas to then either attract investment or do business there. Lots of opportunities, obviously, to where else we go with those fintech bridges. And I know that, uh, you know, Whitehall's working hard on identifying the next ones. You know, obviously, from a fintech perspective, you know, where they often look to expand is Europe and US. You, you often find that that they do more naturally themselves. We haven't seen bridges within those communities, but it's very natural for them to maybe go to people like the DIT and the Treasury to sit there and help them expand into those countries as well. So it's a great system and it really has helped to highlight what we're doing in London. There have been a number of significant regulatory directives implemented early this year, some of which are really key towards the reimagination of financial services and the global knowledge transfer. As thought leaders and the first people to implement open banking, a form of PSD2, what ripple effect do you think that will have into other continents, other countries and cross borders? 
And that's a great question, Sam, because PSD2 is already a European directive. You know, people are finding that they have to comply. And again, to show where we're really taking the forefront of financial innovation here, we've actually taken that one step further with bringing open banking in on the 13th of January. You know, I think a lot of people are going to look at that of whether the opening up of those APIs is going to continue to encourage collaboration and encourage competition. The jury's out at the moment of what we're going to see as a result of open banking, but I can assure you this is just the start. And I know the team there are working really hard and how they build on that. The advantage of that is we again have the rest of the world looking at us and looking at open banking and really setting us on that pedestal of we've gone further than PST2. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that people go further than the European directive. But what that's going to mean is that actually the company's going to really have the opportunity as it builds on the foundations it's had in the first few weeks since launch of really then opening up competition. And that ultimately has to be right for the end consumer. And that's what we're trying to do with fintech. We're trying to constantly sit there, encourage collaboration, encourage competition here in the UK, and really be at the forefront of innovation across the world. If open banking is opening up all sorts of new opportunities, both for the innovators and the fintechs, but also for the banks, have you got any outlandish predictions on what banks might become in the future? We can all recognise that you know, in 10 years' time, our banks will not look the same as they are today. You've already seen such small things as branch closures, people using smartphone apps. When you look at the financial innovation coming through and what people are doing to disrupt that model, and the banks disrupting themselves, we mustn't forget, this isn't just fintechs challenging them. Banks are challenging themselves of how do they increase their margin in such a competitive world and how do they use fintech to adopt cultural change. And that's where we're seeing these large financial institutions globally taking it. They're not just sitting there and waiting now. This isn't a suspicious, you know, going to embracing. They're really sitting there and actually taking it one step further. They're challenging themselves to look at fintech and how do they take all those multiple systems that could be made redundant and really look to the next 10 years. Banking will not look like banking in the next 10 years. If I had a crystal ball, I could tell you which companies were going to be the winners and losers. I probably wouldn't be sitting in this seat. But certainly, you know, there is an opportunity. It is changing. What you've seen from B2C, move to B2B, you're really going to see that opportunity start to escalate as we start seeing some of those really big household names starting to take over. It's been fascinating watching the different waves of fintech. Fintech's been around forever, whether it be the IBMs, MasterCards, the Visas of the world. The big shift, I think, was the global financial crisis. It was the breakdown of trust. The regulatory landscape didn't provide the right restrictions and frameworks to support society and the economy. One of the things that really broke down was trust. The City of London and the Lord Mayor this year have kicked off a business of trust program. How have you seen trust evolve over the past six, seven years? And do you think there are things that we can do in the face of Brexit to encourage more trust? Again, it's a great question because what does trust mean? It means lots of different things to different people. And what we saw through the financial crisis is people started not to trust their bank. They didn't want to trust their bank that was sitting down on the high street. And that was a strange phenomenon. They weren't ready to go out to some of the challenger banks. They didn't really adopt them yet. So what could they do? And we suddenly saw this wave against banking of saying, you know, I want something better. Mm, you know, and mm. obviously fintech has really evolved from that and it's really sat there and taken advantage of that and shown that there can be great customer service, there can be a great product. And you know, they only have to go in one single niche. So they've spent all their energy, some of these banks and some of these fintechs, in developing one particular niche and taking it forward. Who benefits 
benefits from that is the end consumer. It's the small businesses who haven't been able to get the lending anymore. Maybe they go down to the peer-to-peer lending. And we're seeing such a huge evolution now. Don't forget that some of these financial institutions, the banks, don't want some of that business anymore either. So what that's led is an opening up of an opportunity where fintechs either think, I can do this quicker, I can do this smarter, and I can do it cheaper. But also banks who say, I'm leaving that space. And that's leaving you know, some significant opportunities for some of our great fintechs to really move in and take over some of that great space. I'm not going to talk about blockchain because I think it's probably been mentioned in every podcast that's ever been done on financial services. We've seen banks look to reimagine themselves, started talking about it. The other side of the coin is their cost model and trying to tighten costs, create synergies. And I think the birth of utilities and collaborating with other banks in non-competitive spaces is going to be something we see a lot of over the next couple of years. Are there any specific examples of that that you've seen and any technologies that you think will be really prevalent in that trend? There's lots of things that people want to solve. You know, could you have a common back office is what a lot of people are considering at the moment. And we're seeing that conversation very live across banks and fintechs. Again, coming back to open banking, if we look at what open banking needs, it still needs that KYC utility. Mm. That doesn't without challenges. One, can you bring in a shared utility in KYC? Is that just for the UK? Is that global? Who regulates it? And who ultimately has the liability when something goes wrong? But certainly, you know, there's lots of smart people trying to solve some of those common problems. I think where we are now is the banks recognise that they can't possibly just keep going as they are. The money's just not coming in anymore. And that they have to sit there and collaborate maybe on 50% of what they used to compete on. Because they recognise they don't need to all do it individually anymore. Things like KYC, things like AML... But even just looking at common standards, procurement standards, you know, how can they get smarter and sit there and maybe find these across the banks and then sit there and actually implement them? You know, we're seeing those already happening. You know, I know many banks across London now who are sitting there trying to find across themselves a ways to implement fintech. How can they bring those standards in? How can they make tech contracts more simple? You can't send out a 100-page tech contract to a fintech. Mm. It's just too challenging. It will take too long. So how do they really make it very simple to implement and then drive it forward? And I think you'll see some of those small wins coming through and then potentially you know, together they'll collaborate on some of the bigger issues such as KYC. Very useful. Thank you. I had the good fortune of being involved with Innovate Finance in the early days as we were growing it. I'm acutely aware of the incredibly talented team that you've got working at Innovate Finance. Talent's a big issue at the moment, mm-hmm. particularly with Brexit. If it's not mentioned at every conference I go to, then I'm surprised. How do you think we can position ourselves as the UK with Brexit looming to ensure we continue to attract the great talent and we continue to nurture it? And then equally, not just attract talent, but make sure that with the advancing of technology, how do we reskill people and upskill people appropriately? I agree that that was a very broad question, but if you could answer it in any form, that would be useful. Well, uh, you quite rightly point out that talent is the biggest issue that we face from our members. You know, that's what they bring up. You know, capital, in fact, is up there, but talent becomes a bigger issue. And that's because most fintechs, the fintech workers will be between 40 and 50% of their workforce here in the UK will be non-British. So they're very much relying on that talent to come in from overseas. As yet, we're not seeing that migration happen and leave in the UK yet, but we are acutely aware of those conversations 
conversations are happening. And we have to continue to show this as a welcoming place to work. And I think that's post the Brexit vote. That was some of the bigger issue is, is do people actually want to come and work here? Are they going to have the right to remain? Are we going to guarantee citizen rights? In so many questions with some of those workers really living in quite an area of uncertainty for some time. We're starting to see some of those announcements now. And obviously what we'll continue to push for on behalf of members is really sitting there and trying to make sure that we continue with the immigration system that allows us to bring in talent that we cannot get here from the UK. And this isn't just the highly skilled workers. This is sometimes the operations teams Mm. who are quite skilled in what they do, but wouldn't necessarily fall into criteria of highly skilled workers. So it's an incredibly complex issue. Our white paper's coming out on immigration in the autumn. We're certainly putting in some policy principles and policy recommendations in over the summer of how we actually respond to that and what needs to be done. Now, you did point out about upskilling our own workers. And I often talk to banks themselves and say, you have a lot of people wanting to leave banking at the moment. Why don't you sit there and instead of trying to bring new fintech entrepreneurs in, potentially look at talking to some of your own workforce and how do you reskill them? There is that opportunity. You know, lots of people love the idea of moving into fintech. So why not try to keep them within your bank when they know the cultural challenges and then upskill them here? You know, so I think there is that challenge that you know, potentially it's staring you in the face sometimes. So don't mm. always have to go that further afield. Longer term, obviously, we have to look at STEM skills and STEAM skills that we talk about a lot in school of how do we bring that next generation more digitally enabled. You know, a lot of countries across the world, such as China and India, saw this coming a long time ago, and they sat there and they had their next generation trained up from day one. You know, Still in the UK, we're a little behind on that, and that's why we obviously rely on overseas talent. So still more work to be done on the education system. That in 10, 15 years' time, we have the choice of whether we bring people in from overseas or whether we actually have homegrown people here, digitally enabled, encoding, computer science, engineering, maths, able to fill those roles. It's great to hear you talk about young talent. I think the mentorship of the next generation is super important for the UK sustainable financial services sector. And fintech's not trivial. The technology side of it is complex stuff. Are there any initiatives? I know there's the Leaders of Tomorrow program with the City of London. Are there any other initiatives that some of our young listeners can get involved with? I mean, there's lots, you know, and, that, and that's the amazing thing. We've already seen you know, the Prime Minister recently talking about university education potentially changing. I, mean, I think this week we saw an announcement from government encouraging schools to actually paying them for math students to continue with their maths. But it's not just about you know, those STEM skills. It is about the A, the STEAM, bringing the arts in as well. You know, we have had an education system that's been quite obsessed on the core skills and maybe looking less outside. So I think, yeah, I definitely encourage, you know, those students to go and get the work experience. It's definitely there. There's lots, Mm. as you said, there's lots of initiatives around the city that are looking at this, either bringing in young people and bringing, as I said, the work experience, but also taking the next step up, you know, getting the apprenticeships, getting the mentoring and really taking advantage of all the things that are being offered already. I think we talk about diversity and I feel as a mother of a young daughter, you know, I have to look at what the girls can do as well because traditionally we have seen in the UK Mm. that boys go off and do the coding computer science and the engineering, girls more go into the arts. That is changing because obviously you're seeing primary school education is sitting there. We have to make it fun for young people as well so we don't just sit there and almost 
to make that conscious bias even at such a young age. I always urge people, you know, 50% of our population is female. Let's definitely inspire others. Go and talk to people. Go and talk to your old schools and sit there and inspire others to go and continue with those skills so that they really see what can be done. Fortunately, we have lots of people who are digitally enabled on smartphones, you know, and creating apps. You know, so I think you won't be long before you'll see 12, 13, 14-year-olds you're bringing that in. And we need those stories to inspire the next generation. Super. Thank you, Charlotte. That's incredible. We've covered everything from the UK landscape to regulatory directives and fintech bridges to leadership and talent. Before we finish, for the Innovate Finance Global Summit on the 19th of March, if you could have anyone that you would like to invite to speak as a keynote speaker, who would that be? Well, we'll always take a certain Tim from Apple, I guess. You know, a Jeff from Amazon would be great. But no, we have enough homegrown talent here. We have Lance Ugler coming in from IHS Market. He grew his company from nothing to $19 billion in the last 15 or so years. You know, so he's going to be sharing his story. We also have fintech leaders showing what the next evolution looks like. So you know, I think we're there already. We've got some great, great speakers there. You know, People disrupting across the market. And also the banks showing them what they're doing as well. So we're really excited about it. Definitely check it out, IFGS 2018. We're looking forward to it. Thanks very much indeed, Charlotte. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.